This is Science Modeling Talks, a podcast featuring top modeling instructors sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. My guest for this episode is Mitchell Sweet. Mitch has been teaching primarily chemistry for the past 15 years at both the high school and college levels. He took his first modeling workshop in 2010 and began co-leading chemistry modeling workshops in 2016. Mitch currently teaches fundamental chemistry and general chemistry one and two at Scottsdale Community College. Here's my conversation with Mitch. Hey Mitch, how are you doing? I'm I'm good, Mark. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you got a lot going on right now, so I really appreciate uh, being able to sit down with you and and chat about modeling. Um, yeah, happy to. So so tell us, our listeners, especially a little bit about you, what your where you are, what you're doing, and uh, and then we'll get going. Sure. Well, um, I am uh, currently teaching chemistry at uh, Scottsdale Community College. And so I'm practicing modeling instruction here with all of my chemistry students. I teach both an introductory chemistry class, so similar to sort of a a high school chemistry class, Hmm. um, and then a general chemistry class that's a two-semester sequence. And... um, and so this is my fifth year at the college level. I have also taught um, 10 years at the high school level uh, before that. Mm-hmm. And then um, I lead some uh, chemistry modeling workshops here in, in the Phoenix area. Um, been teaching those at ASU now for probably about eight years or so. Oh, awesome. Well, ASU yeah. always hosts a very good program for modelers. Yeah, I, I'm very fortunate um, in that, you know, I this is, uh, you know, where I happen to live. And uh, and so uh, when I first, you know, came across modeling instruction, uh, it was just great because, you know, all of the workshops are <laughs> within 20 minutes of my house. And, oh, cool. uh, and there's there's lots of, of people that are coming through here. So I've got to meet folks from all across the country that have come through to take workshops. And, and so um, it's yeah, it, it, it's very fortunate uh, just in terms of, you know, where I happen to land and, and, you know, what modeling offers. So you've been teaching workshops for that means you've been doing modeling yourself for a while now. Been... Yeah. Um, a- after my first year of, of teaching, um, I took my first modeling workshop. And so I was teaching um, at that time at a, a high school in the Phoenix Union District and um, our the uh the science coordinator for the the, the district is uh, at that time was was Russ Schaefer, um, mm-hmm. and Russ um, is a is a longtime modeler as well, um, and and Russ was teaching the the chemistry modeling workshops back then, um, but he had encouraged me uh, to take a a physics modeling workshop because there was a it looked like there was going to be a physics class that I was. Um, likely going to be teaching the following year. And it had been a long time since I had taken any, any physics myself. And Russ uh, said, Hey, you know, I think this would be a great opportunity for you. And um, so that was, I guess it must've been 14 years ago, uh, 15 years ago, I think that I, I took that class. Uh, it, was two, it was summer 2010. Um, and I, uh, I, I remember doing some of the readings for that, that class um, uh, in, in particular, uh, 
the uh, David Heston's paper, um, Wherefore a, 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 a Science of Teaching. And um, I just remember being blown away and thinking, oh my gosh, why isn't everything taught this way? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it just got me really excited. And, uh, and then I, I pretty much you know, was, was taking a workshop or two every summer um, after that until I had taken just about everything that I could. Wow, that's pretty cool. So you first heard about modeling through the Hessens paper or? Well, it was, it was uh, through a colleague. Um, and so the, the Hessens paper was actually one of the papers that we had to read um, in that first mechanics modeling class that I took that first summer. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it, it was a colleague that said, hey, you know, if you're going to be teaching physics, um, you know, this would be a, a good opportunity for you to learn how to teach physics in particular. And, uh, and as it turned out, that physics class never made the following year, so I, I didn't end up using it then, but I did have a, a, a physical science class that I taught um, that, that following year for some ninth graders. And so there was a little bit of physics, a little bit of chemistry in that class. And so I certainly employed um, what I had, some of the things I had learned from that, that first class. And then I dove in and took a, a castle workshop, which is the, uh, the capacitor assisted uh, way to teach electricity. Um, and then I ended up taking the chem modeling workshop and the ENM workshop and, and uh, you know, chem two and, and thermodynamics and uh, yeah, just about everything I could get my hands on. That's awesome. So how, how would you describe how modeling itself in your career has impacted your teaching? So um, I did not go to uh, college to get a degree in education. I have, um, I have a bachelor's degree in chemistry and I have a master's degree in, technically it's in forestry, but it, it really was in wood and fiber science. So it was hmm. specifically sort of um, applications of, of wood chemistry type of thing. Um, so I was, not, uh, I was not trained as a teacher. And, um, but, you know, Arizona, like a lot of places, um, has had uh, problems finding teachers. Um, and that's been going on for a long time. Yeah. And so um, I, I had been doing some other things career wise. And when I was, um, gosh, I guess about 40, um, I decided that I wanted to give uh, teaching a try. But both my parents are, uh, are retired educators. Um, my dad is a retired elementary school principal. My mother is a retired elementary school reading teacher. Um, and so for me, uh, teaching was the family business I wasn't going to go into. Uh, th- there's got to be just something in the blood, isn't there? You know, you, you just, you know, you, you think you get away from it and, and uh, there's just something inherent. Um, yeah. So um, when I started teaching, you know, I, I just, you know, tried to mimic the the teachers that I had. You know, sure. I, I taught in the way that, that I was taught. And, mm. you know, I thought I was fluent and uh, caring and funny. And I, you know, tried to be as engaging as possible. And I think the students, you know, enjoyed my classes, but I'm not sure that they learned as much as they could. And so, um, once I took that first workshop, I it really began to think about okay, um, this this lecturing, no matter how 
smooth and fluent it is, is not the way that most students are really going to learn best. And so um, it absolutely transformed how I how I started teaching and how I think about teaching and how I communicate with students, how I answer their questions, uh, you know, because the the idea is, you know, no matter what it is we're doing in life, um, you know, we're constantly building models in our head of how we think things work. Hmm. And, um, you know, and that's just, you know, sort of inherent in the nature of learning. And, you know, so many instructors, you know, they already have well-developed models in their head and they think, well, if only I can s- explain it in a more elegant way, these students will, will clearly just build that same picture in their head. And, you know, and, and we know that that's not terribly effective. We've got lots of data that supports that. And, um, you know, and so you need to learn to, to set your ego aside and say, okay, well, maybe there's, there's a better way to do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I'm, as I said, I, uh, I, I started modeling, um, you know, really my second year to some degree. Um, it was still a little limited because at that point I had only taken the one, uh, mechanics workshop, um, mm-hmm. after my, uh, second year of taking a second summer of taking a, a modeling workshop, uh, I had switched schools and the, um, the headmaster at that school, um, had said, you teach however you want to teach. And I just said, okay, I'm going all in. I'm just going to do modeling just hundred percent. And, um, you know, and, and the first year was a bit of a struggle. Um, and you know, and that's, that's normal. And, and it, students come through and take, take my workshops and I tell them, you know what, the first year you're going to be really excited and you're going to have all these things you want to do and it won't go as well as you think it will. And that's just part of the nature of the beast. You've got to figure out, you know, really how this is going to work for you. You've got to figure out a way that you can um, make this work for your students because, you know, we all have different types of students, different demographics, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, different, different cultural expectations from, you know, wherever you're teaching. And so, um, you know, you've really got to figure out the best implementation of what that looks like for you. It's different for everybody. Yeah. And it takes a little while to find your groove, (laughs) you know? Yeah. For sure. I'm learning a lot. And uh, I'm not a teacher, but watching my wife grow and watch and all the conversations I've had with the podcast here, it's really uh, become quite evident that it takes a little bit to really get a handle on your, your approach in the classroom with modeling instruction. It's uh it's really cool. So you, you were teaching in high school for when you first got into modeling, you were a high school, not, not a college teacher. Correct. Yeah. I was, I was, a, I was a high school teacher. I just had really started teaching at that point. And so I had, um, I taught for nine years at, um, a high school in Phoenix and, and Tempe. So in the, you know, the general Phoenix area. And then, um, I started, um, at, uh, Scottsdale community college. And I had a, a colleague, uh, Phil Root, who was already teaching, here and he has been a longtime modeler as well. He came from a, a high school teaching background as well, and he really wanted to implement it at the at the college level. And um, when when he came to Scottsdale, no one else was doing anything like modeling. And uh, he he had a he had a big uphill 
uh, push for for quite a while. Um, and then when I got hired, then there became two of us, and that was it was two out of three. And so suddenly we were sort of the, the majority. And and then we started to get some momentum going, and um, and we've you know made a. a a real conscious decision to make sure that um, our adjuncts are kind of following along and, and, and our modelers are at least open to modeling here um, because we're trying to, to build a culture with our students where they're really responsible for their own learning. And we're mm -hmm. trying to get them to be independent thinkers and to be able to engage with their, with their fellow classmates. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, Phil has done a lot of the heavy lifting before I ever got here. When you say it was an uphill push for him, are you talking about like convincing the administration or in w getting acceptance to the to the methods? Yeah, and, and it, it probably was less um, administration than it was fellow call, you know, fellow instructors here. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just you know, lots of folks at the at, at the college level in general, whether that's four-year universities or community colleges, um, think they, you know, they're pretty bright and they know how to teach and mm -hmm. they don't, you know, mm -hmm. why, why, why would you do it any differently? Yeah. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that most of the resistance was coming from um, other instructors, but also, um, you know, students, you know, lots of students mm -hmm. had showed up here and they, they had been used to someone just talking at them yeah. and they were used to just taking copious notes and then somehow regurgitating that information on an exam. Yeah. And suddenly they were being put in a situation where they didn't know exactly what they were supposed to do. They were just kind of presented with some questions and they were supposed to talk to the people sitting next to them. And, um, and so that was, that was a challenge, you I'm know, thinking. overcoming <laughs> that, that, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, now that we've been doing this here for a while, um, you know, we're, we're, we definitely have more momentum going. We just hired, um, a, a new, uh, physics instructor, um, here in our department, who's a longtime modeler, uh, Curticia Jarrett. Um, she's fantastic. So we're, we're, we're building our, uh, our, our, our modeling base here at Scottsdale. Um, I had also taught for um, a couple years before when I first came and before I returned uh, at, at uh, Estrella Mountain Community College, which is in Avondale. It's in the, the other side of, of uh, the valley from where, where Scottsdale is located. And there is a, a big contingency of, of, of modelers over there. Levi Torreson is, is there. Um, Jeff Hengesbach is there. Dwayne Dabian is there. Um, so some folks that that really you know know their their modeling um, instruction very well. Russ Schaefer retired from the Phoenix Union um, High School District, and now he is teaching there um, as well. So uh, there's some big heavy hitters in terms of um, people that have taught workshops and and really. Um, know their stuff and and now we're sort of building you know our own community over here at, at scottsdale and and we you know regularly collaborate with them they're all friends of ours and, and colleagues so we're, we're trying to um you know build momentum tell me what you would say are the differences between teaching high school and teaching at the college level uh, i know the junior college community college is a little closer than maybe a four-year might be, but uh, what what have you discovered is our differences in those teaching environments? 
So the biggest differences um, are the amount of time we have with students, hmm. right? If, if you are if you are teaching at a high school, you've got um, 180 days with your students, pretty much, um, maybe 50, 55 minutes with them, but you've got um, a substantial amount of time. We have um, typically here in in what would be an equivalent um, to say a high school chemistry class where we teach in one semester and we would see them for um, about four and a half hours uh, a week um, for 15 weeks. So we really see them about half the amount of time that we would if we were teaching sort of the same material at a high school level. So um, we don't get quite as much time to kind of, I won't say leisurely go through things, but but times where we might feel at a high school, hey, let's let's dive a little bit deeper. Oh, you know what? We're running a little behind time. Not not a problem. We'll, we'll pick up with this tomorrow. Um, and just knowing that that we we are um, you know more constricted in our time, we have to uh, just be cognizant of that. And and while we do want discussions to be able to to play out, um, we really just have to um, you know keep in mind we've only got you know so much time before that semester gets over. Yeah, interesting. Um, but you know, often, especially at the at the two year college level, we get students coming to us that are um, really a lot like high school students. You know, and some of them are straight out of high school. I mean, right. they're they're eighteen years old. They and and some of them, you know, even come out a little bit younger. So they very much are like high school students um, in terms of their background. Some of them are struggling with their math level. Some of them are coming in at a higher level. Um, so we have you know lots of different skill sets within the same class. Um, so, you know, that part's, um, very similar. Um, I, I just don't have to, you know, um, have parents calling me. So that's, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> the, the, the big plus at a college level versus a high school. So you mentioned, uh, the differences in the students' math skills and their understanding in the math world. And my wife has talked often to me about the issues of students coming in with lower math skills from the school previous to high school. And uh, I know that you have done some work looking at uh, math involved with chemistry in uh, something called proportional reasoning. I know you've focused on that. I don't understand exactly what that means or what it is. Can okay. you can you talk to us a little bit about your work there and what you're discovering? Yeah. So, um, you know, in in chemistry, um, <clears throat> the very typical way to um, approach quantitative sort of problems is a is a technique that um, is often described as dimensional analysis, and um, and there's there's ways to kind of set this up, but um, it, it's often approached as sort of an algorithmic approach to, to calculating some type of answer. So um, let's say, you know, sort of in, in a simple sense, you know, if you were thinking about, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be driving my car for, you know, for two and a half hours, and I'm going to drive at, at 60 miles an hour. And, um, you know, you, if you were looking at this in terms of dimensional analysis, you'd say, okay, well, I've got two and a half hours, and then I have 60 miles per hour, so 60 miles over one hour, and then I can see that, you know, I've got an hour on 
top and an hour on bottom, and that you know those units are going to quote unquote cancel each other out, and I'm just left with units of miles, and I could then calculate out how many miles I travel in those those two and a half hours, and so it becomes about units, and it becomes a, about answer giving. Um, so that's sort of like the simplest sense, and that's that's a very traditional way to to teach, and in fact, even in some of um, our uh, course uh, competencies at the college level, it specifically says, oh, students will learn to use dimensional analysis for problem solving. Well, what we have come across, and it's not just me, I mean, there's, there's lots of other chemistry teachers that have sort of seen the same thing, is that while students may be able to get an answer and calculate an answer, they often don't understand what the answer means or, or, or why that answer would make sense. And so um, proportional reasoning really has a lot more to do with um, having a better sense of what you are looking at, what you're trying to understand, and seeing if you can figure out if there's sort of more of it or, or less of it type of thing. So the way that I would have that same type of problem where I would have my students think about this and say, hey, you know, we already know how fast we're driving, right? We know that we're driving 60 miles per hour. So that means I can drive 60 miles and the amount of time it takes is one hour. Well, what if I go for two hours, right? If I drive for twice as long, I should be able to drive twice the distance. If I drive for three hours, right, I drive three times as long, I drive for three times the distance. Well, if we were driving for two and a half times as long, two and a half times what one hour is, we should go for two and a half times the distance of 60 or 150 miles type of thing. And so the proportional reasoning um, gives students, I think, a better, it, it's more about sense making than answer getting. And, um, and, and for people that are familiar with the, uh, the chemistry modeling materials and Larry Dukerich and your wife, Brenda and Guy Ashkenazi, um, had really, you know, developed all of those materials and they, uh, they tell a really elegant story. There is an elegant storyline throughout all of those, uh, curricular materials. And in particular, when we start dealing with gases, um, there's, there's this particular um, tabular technique that gets introduced, which is in unit two, about figuring out as pressure and volume and temperature and the number of particles change, how does this affect all these other parameters? So instead of it making about a big algebraic problem, and really it's, you know, for people that are familiar with teaching chemistry, it really becomes about the combined gas laws is how we think about traditionally approaching it. It just becomes, hey, if, if I have twice as many particles, are those particles going to be colliding, you know, more or less? And then will we have more collisions or less collisions? Will we have more pressure or less pressure type of thing? And so these PVTN tables are amazingly elegant and powerful. And then it seems like after unit two, we, we didn't use that, that table again. And we thought, gosh, we're developing this really powerful tool. There's got to be a way to continue to use this and maybe even start to use it in, in, in unit one. And so, um, as I mentioned before, my colleague, Phil Root, he's also led a number of workshops. And um, 
he had come away with, with sort of this similar idea. And I know he had mentioned it to me at one time. And I said, yeah, why, why aren't we using more of this? And, um, uh, Justin Sheets, who, who co-leads the workshop with me here in, in the Phoenix area, we started talking about this and we started saying, well, I wonder if we started teaching this with our students, what would that look like? And we both kind of side by side said, okay, let's give this a shot. Instead of teaching this dimensional analysis, what if we use proportional reasoning? We both seemed to, to get some pretty good results and be pretty happy with that and felt that the students had a better grasp of what was going on. And now when we um, lead our workshops, we just, that's how we introduce sort of all the calculations and say, hey, you know, this is going to be a little different, but we've already asked you to set a bunch of other things aside for this class, you know, so just, you know, bear with us, hear us out, see what you think. And, and so we, we taught um, workshop uh, last summer in 2022, and a couple of the folks um, that took that, uh, Simone Dunphy and Zach Weiss, uh, Simone teaches in, in North Carolina and Zach teaches, um, here in Phoenix. They're in the, uh, the masters of natural science program at ASU. And they decided for their action research, they were going to, um, try this out with, with their students and actually measure differences. Um, and so they just, uh, presented the, the results of their action research um, a few weeks ago, um, and they they had um, generally they found some positive results. In some cases, they didn't get quite as much um, correlation as they had thought. Um, but they're both um, feel like this is absolutely something that is worth pursuing with their students. And so, um, you know, I think it's something that they are going to continue to revisit. Um, you know, I think they're looking at, at trying to publish this beyond just in their in their action research. So, um, you know, and, and, and certainly we're, you know, we're not the only people that are talking about this. Uh, Ariel Serkin, who's out in the Boston area, I know has also uh, collaborated um, with Brenda. Um, and they have done um, work with proportional reasoning. And um, they have actually put some changes into the chemistry modeling materials and, and introducing the idea of proportional reasoning, um, even in so, sort of unit one. And so, um, you know, they've worked with Larry Dukerich, um, to try and, you know, go back and, and introduce this as, as another way of thinking about math. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'll tell you, you know, I think there are, um, there's a lot of benefits. Uh, there's, there's the students that, um, come in with low math skills and, they frankly have a hard time with the algebraic manipulation to rearrange a linear equation. Hmm. Um, you know, they're just not sure whether they're supposed to multiply or divide by something. Um, and, you know, so if they have some type of sort of simple thing that we would sort of typically would expect our incoming students to know, um, that becomes a real struggle for them. Hmm. And so, um, this gives a way for students who have sort of weaker math skills to say, okay, let's not worry about the algebra. Let's just worry about this relationship here between these two things that I know are equal to each other. And then if one of those things changes, if one of those things increases or decreases, then the other thing should be increasing or decreasing by that same proportion, by that same fraction. Um, and so for students with weaker math skills, I think it, it's a big help. But the other thing and this, you know, goes back to, you know, the Heston's paper of wherefore a science of teaching. You know, he talks about the Piagetian levels of development. 
and we have concrete operational and we have formal operational, which is really a, a higher level of processing. Mm -hmm. And proportional reasoning is one of those higher levels. And so I think for you know even the brighter students that are coming in that aren't necessarily used to thinking about proportional reasoning, we are helping to develop their higher level thinking skills. Mm. And so I think that there is a benefit really for all of our students to approach this in terms of thinking proportionally rather than just thinking about units and what do I need to do to somehow get the right units appearing in my in my answer. Are you guys finding, uh, as you guys are practicing in the classroom, are you finding kind of empirical evidence that this is effective with your students? Is there, you know, or is it too early in the process of study? So, um, you know, what I haven't done, in, um, you know, I, I haven't done side-by-side -side comparisons. I haven't said, okay, well, one class I'm not going to teach proportionally to and one class I am, right? Mm -hmm. um, so um, what I have definitely gotten is, is a lot of anecdotal data from my students, students that say, you know, coming in here, I was really scared about this class because I've struggled with math, but I understand now how to how to think about these kind of problems. And then I don't have to memorize equations. I can just set it up the same way every time and mm. then just think about to have more of this thing or less of this thing. And now I can, you know, solve for these answers and they're having success there. So, you know, I have seen that. Uh, I think what we'd really need to do is if we really wanted to, um, you know, get that empirical evidence is we'd need to um, find colleagues that are, um, you know, not teaching proportionally that are just sort of staying with some traditional um, dimensional analysis and and uh, be willing to kind of use some type of, of testing and, and looking side by side. The, mm -hmm. uh, the challenge with that is, you know, nobody ever wants to be the control group. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you don't want to be the person that, that said, oh, this thing I've been doing for the last 20 years, turns out it's not as effective as if I, uh, if, if I did this other thing. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, if, when we're going to be able to get uh, solid empirical data on this. Um, but that's definitely something that we're, we're interested in looking at. Um, but, I, but, but yes, I said, Simone and, and Zach, were able to get some. I just think um, I don't know that all of their groups were necessarily big enough to get um, data that would would be um, absolutely conclusive. But it definitely um, showed some positive trends. The student comments are are certainly encouraging, and you know, um, evidence of some effectiveness with it. So that's yeah. that's really neat. Um, yeah, really great to hear. Yeah, Mitch, tell me more about what you've discovered as a modeler in the classroom, some of the effective things that you're using in your classes? Yeah, well, um, you know, one of the things that um, I think came about, maybe even particularly because of, of the pandemic, um, mm. when we were forced to move online, um, and, and even if we were using Zoom and breakout rooms, uh, being able to have an environment, a culture where students felt comfortable sharing um, with each other, is is challenging. Mm -hmm. um, it's challenging in a in a in a in person classroom. It became even more challenging in uh, in a remote environment. And so, uh, uh, Dwayne Dabian, who is a physics instructor mm -hmm. at uh, Australia Mountain Community College, mm -hmm. and I think you know Dwayne, um, 
he has really, uh, you know, kind of got me and, and others thinking about that importance of, of building that culture within the class before you even dive into any kind of instruction. Mm -hmm. And so um, we now have sort of come up with a, a series of different culture building activities that we'll do across that first week in in our three different level chemistry classes um, in terms of our intro and our Gen Chem 1 and our Gen Chem 2. Uh, and so they are things like, um, well, in, our, in our, our intro chem class, we will have students do some um, whiteboarding where we uh, have students broken out into, into groups, sort of random groups, usually at the, at the beginning, and say, hey, um, why don't everyone um, figure out a place you'd all like to go visit. And um, and then, you know, and, and talk with each other and figure out what that place is. And then what you're going to do is I'd like you to draw out a series of three clues using the whiteboard markers and whiteboards. And, um, and then you're going to share the clues with the rest of the class. We're going to try and guess what that place is. Hmm. And... Um, you know, I, I say the, the one thing I'll caution you is that if the place you're going to visit is Paris, probably don't draw the Eiffel Tower as <laughs> your first clue. Right? So we want want to sort of think about you know how to how to go from from broad to narrow, and uh, and it gets them you know one it gets them just talking to each other because they're showing up and they they don't know each other from Adam and they would like to um, you know be able to converse with, with one another. And, you know, they might talk a little bit about like, oh, I went to this place for vacation, or there's this other place I saw a video on, I think looks really neat, and gets them talking. Um, and the other thing it, it does is it gets them um, used to that idea of trying to take some ideas that are in their head and representing them with some type of pictorial representation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of them say, oh, well, I, I'm terrible at drawing things. Well, it turns out that whenever we do this activity, there is literally no clue that no one can tell what it is, right? As bad as students say they are a drawing, oh, I can tell what that thing is. Yeah. And so it gets them comfortable sort of putting things out there. And so, um, so we, we try and you know, have those kind of activities that we do. Uh, and so getting students to share, getting students um, comfortable with, uh, with putting things out there that they're maybe not 100% sure of. Um, is a really important part of building the culture within the class. And it is, we found it is more than worthwhile, that investment of time. As much as I said, you know, we're sort of limited in time. I would much rather not teach one little thing and spend the extra time getting students comfortable with what this class is going to be like. Yeah, that's awesome. That is really cool. It was wonderful talking with Dwayne about all that stuff, too. It was great. To my listeners, if you if you want to go check out the interview I did with Dwayne, go, just go to our website, sciencemodelingtalks.com, and look up his episode, and, and you'll find it very interesting. Well, Mitch, this has been great. Before we log off here, what, what would be the one big tip that you would give to any new modeler? Or, I mean, maybe even old modelers, but what's your great teaching tip or modeling tip? Well, I mean, I would say that, um, you know, as a new modeler, you know, you've got to give yourself some grace. Mm -hmm. you, you're going to be super excited about this. You've hopefully come out of a workshop that you've just taken and you want to take this back and, 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 and get your students as excited about it as you are. Um, 
it's going to take some time. All right. So when things don't work out exactly the way you want to, don't give up, right? <laughs> keep plugging away. Uh, you know, nobody that, that got here, got here, you know, in one year, um, it takes time to develop this. Um, and, you know, as, as we're, we're fond of saying in modeling workshops, there, there is no modeling police. There's no one that's going to show up and in your classroom and say, you're doing it wrong. Um, you're going to, you know, work your way through and, and figure out what's going to, what's going to work for you, but keep asking questions. You know, there's, uh, AMTA has all sorts of resources. There's, you know, the discord server, there's, um, you know, there's the, the list serves. Um, there are, are people out there that are experienced that would, um, love to give you help. Um, re reach out to, uh, the person that taught your workshop, um, you know, there, there are people that, that, that want to, um, make sure that you're successful. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, understand that, uh, that it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to take some time to get there. That's great advice. If, when you join the AMTA as a member, it opens up a whole lot of resources also for your classroom and, and, uh, shared among modelers, other members of, uh, the AMTA. Well, Mitch, this has been a great conversation, and you've shared a lot of really interesting uh, information that I think our listeners are going to really grab onto and hold onto. And I just really appreciate your time and uh, yeah. taking time to share your insights and your wisdom in, in this area. I think the proportional reasoning thing particularly was was very interesting, and I, I'm sure a lot of uh, modelers are going to get a hold of that. Um, so I just want to say thank you. You've been wonderful. Thank, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. It's been a great talk. It sure has. You take care. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and type our guest name in the search box. The episode page will pop right up. There you'll find any extra content that was mentioned during this interview. So until next time, keep striving for excellence in the classroom.